Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. And guys, it's really great today. A lot of you, um, we've got some special guests, and they're permanently special. You, you may recognize their names. You may not. They are permanently uh, special. Let me permanently that. special. Permanently special. Uh, we have with us uh, Morris Brooks and Eric Dodson. And both Morris and Eric are actually on the board of Truth Be Known Ministries. Um, and so uh, it's good to have these brothers with us today. Um, and so you will get extreme amounts of wisdom from these two beyond your normal podcast episodes. Um, well, it's, it's all from, because we're from Texas. Oh, all you right. are both from Texas. That's right. The great state of Texas. Yeah. And I'm handicapped because I'm from California. It's Texas. <laughs> Um, well, guys, why don't you uh, get, give us just um, a, a little background of who you are real quick. We'll start with Eric and then go to Morris. Um, tell us where you are, uh, what ministry you're serving in right now or going to if you're in a transition stage or whatever the case is. And then we'll jump into our topic. Sure. My name is Eric Dodson. I have the privilege of serving as the preaching pastor at uh, Grace Community Baptist Church in Elgin, Texas. Uh, we are a small-ish uh, Southern Baptist Church um, just outside of Austin, Texas. So we are in Texas, but we are in one of the more um, liberal areas of Texas, I would say. Um, the Lord's doing great things here. This this whole area is in transition and in growth, and our church is uh, just the same, not transition so much doctrinally or anything like that, but you know, a lot of growth, a lot of change in our community and, and also in our church. So it's exciting time to be doing ministry in this area. Uh, I'm very thankful to be here. I'm a graduate of the Master Seminary, and uh, here in about six days, I will be starting uh, doctoral work at Midwestern Baptist Seminary. All right. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm Morris Brooks, and uh, I'm in the conservative part of Texas, which is West Texas, and uh, probably the most conservative part. So um <clears throat> Uh, just finished. I'm um, just finished a 26 month interim, and I'm in between pastorates, and so I'm still doing pulpit supply, and uh, looking for you know just trying to be open what the Lord has for us. It's been kind of an interesting process over the last seven or eight months with uh, some things that He's doing with us, and I think we're He's getting ready for a, you know another stage of ministry. But that's where we're at. So, um, and and, uh, and like Eric, I'm a, I am a member of a Southern Baptist Church. I do pre typically preach at Southern Baptist churches when I fill up when I fill the pulpit. In fact, I just filled the pulpit this last weekend. So uh, that's uh, that's where we are. Yeah. So if you're a Southern Baptist Church and you need to be infiltrated by sound doctrine, you can hire Morris. Okay. Um, well, we've got a really good topic today, um, and I think it's one that's necessary. Probably every four years, particularly, we want to talk about voting. Uh, and I know right there, everyone just sighed and some of their spirit left their body uh, at this stage. Um, but it, it, it's a, it is an important topic. And particularly what we want to talk about is um, how to think about voting biblically. What does scripture require of us? What does it not require of us? What are we bound to morally, ethically, uh, when we think about voting? You know, we 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 live in this world and we have to participate in this world. Um, and scripture is not always as clear on how we um, function in this world, how we apply the scripture. And, and so some things, and I think voting falls in that category where it takes a little bit of thoughtfulness and it takes a little bit of digging into scripture and considering principles um, over just, you know, clear statements made. And it's also a topic in which uh, it, it can become very easily emotional. Um, it can become very easily worldly. Uh, but we, we want to avoid all of that. You know, for us, the goal is uh, how do we glorify God 
in our in the way we think about voting and in the way we go about voting. And, and that's really the key, that at the end of the day, we're faithful to Christ, that we're faithful before God, and that our conscience being biblically trained is, is clear and clean. So uh, l- let me just kind of open it up uh, to us, guys. What are some of the things you start thinking about instantly uh, as soon as you know a voting year is coming up, uh, a, a presidential election year is coming up? What, what you're, you're all pastors. What are you thinking about in terms of what you, what you want your congregation to know or hear or how you're preparing to answer questions? Well, I think the first thing I want the congregation to remember that God is on His throne. Um, what our our spiritual state does not rise and fall based upon what happens in this country. Um, so we we don't have to uh, throw ourselves to to the wind of all the uh, of all the political rhetoric that's going on out there. Um, that being said, we as the church we are light and salt, and we are to seek the welfare of the country that we're in. And that's, I think we see that example in Jeremiah 29 when the Israelites were sent into exile. Um, they're in Babylon. And what does he tell them? He, he says in verse 7 of chapter 29, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. And so if we want to seek the welfare of the country that we're in, uh, one of the best ways we can do that is by exercising our right to vote. So we should exercise our right to vote. We should seek to do what would preserve the the, the best good for the, the most people um, in our country. But recognizing that if things go against our way, it's it's not a sign of judgment from God against us directly, but it may be a sign of judgment from God to the nation around us, and we just have to continue to be faithful through that. Well, I think uh, also I try to remind people that because they are citizens of this country, because of the way our election process is laid out, we have a responsibility to vote. And I, I know before in the last election, I know some people were so disgusted with the options we had for whatever reasons, then I had many that said, well, I just don't think I'm going to vote. Well, that I don't think that's being a responsible citizen. And we have to, again, that's just another responsibility of, of you know, praying for your, you know, pray for your government leaders. I mean, obviously there's a, a part that the Christian has to, has to play in the, in the um, stability and up, upholding of the government that where God has placed you. And uh, so I just, again, when we don't have an option, I think as Christians, we have, we have a responsibility to vote. And so to be sure that you're voting in a way that's going to be counted, as you just referred to, Ekia, you know, the welfare of the city determines also in a way determines your welfare. So you need to be yeah. praying for your leaders and praying for the welfare of the city, the welfare of your city, your county, your state, your the, often the national government and uh, and and be involved and be and be involved. Don't stick your head in the sand, but be, you know, take some time, learn what the you know, what the different candidates' positions are. Don't just, you know, often being a conservative, well, you know, I, very few times I don't think could you vote for vote for a liberal, but at the same time, you, you understand who you're voting for and why you're voting for them. And uh, so I, I just think that's important. Yeah, so I would maybe ask some questions for clarity. I like the, the term responsibility and, um, you know, Usually what I tell people is you have a stewardship, like I see your voting as a stewardship. And so um, I would I would say what really is needed most in these discussions, particularly within regards to a church setting, is clarity um, and being really careful not to bind the consciences of people. So I think yeah. I don't I personally wouldn't see it as a sin to not vote. Um, I think it's wise. I think it's good stewardship. Uh, to vote and to participate in the process because we have that freedom. Uh, but I think it's not, you know, there's not a a clear command in scripture, thou shalt not vote or thou shalt vote. Um, and so I think that leaves us room for a matter of conscience on this. And so I would say, you know, we want to be governed by, you know, Romans 14 general principle for conscience is what can we do from faith? Um, and, and we should not do it from fear. And so uh, just the act of voting itself, I would say, like, are you approaching this as an act of faithfulness, stewarding the opportunity, the reasonableness um, that you have to the the opportunity you have to vote, or are you doing this from fear? And I I do think for people to mm-hmm. vote 
from fear um, is is a negative thing. I think it's probably even a sin to do that from fear, like because anything that's not from faith is sin, right? And so we want to make sure people know, like the decision to vote is a matter of stewardship and wisdom, um, but there are principles from that. And the principle is we want to act from faith and faithful stewardship, not from a fear of a certain outcome or another. Um, the other key way I, I usually encourage people in our church to think about uh, voting elections in general, I, I try to keep, uh, you know, really three key passages in mind. The first is, of course, Romans 13, which outlines what the responsibility of government is, yeah. and our responsibility to government is. In general, government is to uh, maintain God-ordained order in society by punishing evildoers and protecting the innocent. That's the, the foundational role of government. And we have an ob an obligation to submit to government, which I would make the case is different necessarily than obey. It's a different word and there's different connotations to it. Yeah. Um, but we do submit to government. Um, we pay our taxes. Um, and if you, the other, one of the other key texts I would say is First uh, Peter chapter three, where it talks about um, submitting to those in government or or honoring those in government. Um, sorry, First Peter chapter two, I mean, I get the reference wrong, but gives those things, right? If we collate those texts, we have four, I would say, general responsibilities to pray for our leaders, to pay our taxes, to honor our leaders, and to submit to them. We need to make sure if we're going to call to account, use our prophetic voice to uh, call to account government for what it's responsible for, we should ensure that we are committed to faithfully doing what we're responsible for. Um, and then the other key text that I usually remind people of in election years, which, you know, surprises some people is uh, Proverbs 28, 25, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. probably the better translation of that is actually the ESV translation, a greedy man stirs up strife. Those looking to enrich themselves stir up strife. And I think we see this from politicians who are looking to enrich themselves in terms of political power. I think we see this from the media. They get eyeballs off of clicks and things. Sadly, I think we even see this from greedy people within evangelicalism that stir up strife so that they can profit off of it. So we need to understand that yeah. and understand like one of the best things we can do as Christians in an election year is not be easily stirred up to make wise, reasoned, biblical decisions as we think about things and not just think, oh, because the media I pay attention to wants me to be outraged about, you know, topic A, I therefore need to be outraged about topic A, like learn to guard against that easily being stirred up aspect, because I think that's just increasing in our culture. The, yeah. the rage around elections is only increasing. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things we have to keep in mind uh, that we would all want people to think about is, you know, our, our responsibility is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, right? Ephesians four, we, we want to walk in a righteous and holy way. And we've got to think about these principles, biblical principles. I think before we ever get to thinking about who, who the options are for voting, Right. And and one of the reasons we do that is to guard our own hearts against emotionalism, because we're all susceptible to that. Um, and once emotions creep in, sometimes it's it's very difficult, maybe even impossible to rightly decipher biblical principles through the lens of our fallen human emotions. And so, uh, you know, and I would agree voting is uh, a responsibility Um I, and I would say I would say that it's incumbent upon every Christian to consider what they're going to do about voting. And then I would agree that I, I think you could come to the conclusion that um, you may opt out of a particular instance in voting for the sake of honoring God. Um, but 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 I think I don't think in our Western context in America, it would be acceptable for a Christian to just not even consider what they're going to do about voting. Right? I would probably phrase it that way. Um, so think about it. And at the end, you may come to the conclusion, look, because of these passages, because of my conscience here. Um, I mean, R.C. Sproul said he would never he wouldn't even vote for a dog catcher if they supported abortion. You, you know, and so what do you do with that? Um and 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 I think he had biblical support for situations where he would opt not to vote. 
And, and so I think you're right. We, we don't as believers, and that's a good first principle, um, our primary citizenship is not in whatever country you live in. It's in heaven as a believer. And we tend to forget that we're pilgrims and sojourners. You know, Bible uses the sojourner language. We don't, we, we tend to not think of that as often as we should here. Um, I, I, for me, I, Psalm 1 is incredibly helpful, I think, when pulling principles for voting, um, especially when we start thinking about the options. And I'm wondering if we just go through this quickly, if you guys will kind of jump in and, 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 and talk to some of this stuff. Uh, but let me just read uh, a portion of this really quickly for us, because I think it gives us a framework uh, by which we can think about um, what it means to vote for someone or some party in terms of joining with things that maybe we should or shouldn't join with. So uh, Psalm 1, one of my favorite Psalms, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I actually just want to take verse 1. The language is very interesting. Um not to walk in the counsel of wicked. We see the term, the phrase to walk all over scripture. Paul uses it a ton in the book of Ephesians, you know, walk not as the world walks, walk in light, walk in love. And it's really just uh, to describe the way we live, right? Walking here is how you're living. The counsel of the wicked, that's an interesting word here because the counsel, counsel here is a generic word really concerning advice about morals and ethics. And, and so, I mean, just very poignant verse here. Um, and so believers are not to live in a way that they are taking counsel concerning morals and ethics from the wicked. And wicked here in this particular passage is just a kind of generic unbelievers. Um, that's a very, that's a principle, right? And so when we come to voting, we should be asking the question, are we voting in such a way that we're voting based on having been taught our morals and ethics from worldly people? Or have we gotten our morals and ethics and are we voting in such a way that uh, we've let scripture define those things for us? Now, let's just kind of talk about that. Did, what do you guys think about that? Does it bring anything else to mind? Well, yeah, I think, mind. oh, go ahead, go ahead, Morris. Well, it just brings um, to mind, yeah, as you know, there's some well-known evangelical figures that uh, have really made a nuanced case for being able to vote, you know, for, for people that support abortion. And so I think sometimes we, and, and I, to me, this has been a, a cause of concern because there are certain areas of evangelicalism that do tend to hold sway in certain areas with certain people and certain denominations. And, and, and I just think you, you look at that and, to me, they're they're basically siding up with the world and, and giving you an excuse to follow the advice, to follow the you know, to follow the advice of those of the wicked, and that's uh, and I have a real issue with that because uh, uh, again, you know, they have just for them personally, they have a lot, and there's a lot of responsibility there, a lot of consequences that they're going to be held accountable for before the Lord. But uh, again, it's I think people have to be again. Who, who you follow and who you listen to, you need to be sure that you're following them and listening to them for the right reason, not just because they're tickling your fancy or uh, supporting you in a particular area or giving you an, an excuse to do what you need to, you know, to do what you want to do, even though you may not feel, I'm not, don't feel quite right about this, but I can find, find somebody that'll agree with me or give me a reason to do it. And I think that's, I think that's happened quite a bit uh, in within the evangelical culture. Yeah, I was thinking about the media organizations um, that we got to be careful about who we listen to, even in the media, even if it's conservative media. Um, just like politics, I think media has been corrupted uh, in a lot of different ways. And so we need to do our research and understand the issues. And I think going back to what Eric said about uh, about that the right not to vote, you know, I, I think, um, Nathaniel, you're right. Um, a person shouldn't just be apolitical about this and say, well, I'm just never going to vote because we shouldn't take a part in this. Um, you should consider it. Um, but I, I would also add that in areas where you aren't informed, um, I think that might be a good area to either get informed or, or to say, you know what, I don't know enough about this to make an informed uh, vote, which is 
you know, yep. when we have, uh, when I get a ballot, there are a lot of things on there that uh, I know there are things that are very important that I need to vote on. And there are things that are less important or in another realm that I, I don't fully know all the details and, and fully understand the arguments on both sides. And in those cases, I'm okay with, uh, with not voting. Um, or if you have some trusted brothers and sisters who you know um, are very good at studying these laws and 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 really talking about okay here's the real impact of this and that um, that could be helpful as well. Uh, but we don't want to go in and and just go off of gut. Uh, we we don't want to um, be uninformed. We don't want to be certainly we don't want to be following celebrities, right? We don't want to um, listen to the the voices of celebrities. And of course, there was that article recently that that talked about how. Taylor Swift might impact up to 20% of the voters. And it is what it is, right? Um, there's no reason to be afraid of that. Um, but let us not be one of those people that are swayed by by celebrity opinions. Yeah, and I think um, what I would encourage people to think about is we understand that in a in a fallen world, we're we're not voting for any perfect candidate. There's no such yeah. thing, right? We also understand we're not voting for a pastor, right? I, I get those things, um, but that doesn't mean all things government are just equal to where we can kind of stack a balance of like you know this person aligns with me on you know ten issues and this person only aligns with me on eight. Therefore, I'm going for the person with ten because all things are not equal, and that's where I right, would. Yeah drive people back to what has God designed government to do, that should be weighted accordingly. Like God has designed government to keep order in society by primarily by protecting the lives of the innocent from the wicked, by protecting yeah. the innocent from the wicked. And so that sense of basic fundamentals of what God delegated the authority of government to do should really have a trump card so to speak not to make a pun on on him by any means but it should carry the day of like okay we should prioritize issues of life issues of safety yeah, issues right. of protection because that's expressly in scripture what god has designed do we all have opinions and things on everything else yeah like i'm you know somewhat neo-libertarian like i would privatize the road system the school system the yeah. hospital like i would privatize almost everything in our society um, but I'm not going to say, well, because this person would go for capitalism and privatizing the roads, I'm going to ignore that they're pro-abortion, no. or I'm going to ignore that they're mm. um, not wanting to guard the citizenry from evildoers outside, right? Because scripture tells me <laughs> that protecting life, protecting the people no. under the charge of that government is what is the priority of government. And so that's where I'm going to set priorities. Now, do I know there's going to be different candidates that have strengths and weaknesses and nobody's going to be perfect? Absolutely. But I think the first thing we should consider about who we vote for is who has demonstrated in their life a sense of right and wrong, like <laughs> a sense of knowing the difference between the, the righteous and the wicked and who is to be protected and who is to be punished before we even get into policies. Like Because mm -hmm. we all know that politicians can change policies on a dime. I mean, if you yeah. just consider when Ronald Reagan came out as pro-choice, or pro-life rather, he was the only Republican in that primary that was pro-life. George H.W. Mm -hmm. Bush switched his position so that he could be the vice presidential candidate. And that's in my lifetime, right? Yeah. So politicians and, and parties will change drastically on these issues. So we can't be loyal to, like we can't, treat politics like a team sport, unless we're going to say, hey, we're on team Jesus and we're going to analyze everybody else through that, right? We can't just be, I'm on the red team, I'm on the blue team and looking for ways to justify our right. team. We have to think through principles um, that are laid out in scripture and prioritize those principles. Then after you've done that, feel free, stack and weigh who has better tax policy, you know, who has better this or that, like go for it. Like I'm all for considering those things if we've prioritized the principles that scripture clearly lays out to say, this is what government is supposed to do. Yeah, that's. A, I think that's a great point. And obviously, when we think about important issues, the issue of abortion has been a big one um, in, in prior elections. And just as you guys, one of you guys mentioned that we had, uh, we had evangelicals out there that were kind of making a case that it doesn't matter who you vote for, because history says it, it 
really doesn't matter. Well, that we don't vote that way. We don't vote based upon pragmatics. We vote based upon principles, um, what a platform or what a certain candidate may stand for. And this past election cycle proved um, that it actually did matter, right? Because Roe v. Wade, which um, a lot of people were saying, look, that will never be overturned. So it doesn't matter which way you vote. Well, it was overturned. And it was overturned by the uh, the the orange man that everyone hates. Uh, he appointed the right justices at the right time that it finally did get overturned. And I never thought I would see that. So it, it does matter. We, But that's, you know, those results are always in the hands of God, but we vote based upon the right kinds of principles. And when people accuse us of being one issue voters, that's the other thing I'd like to bring up. We can't, don't be pressured by what the accusations are. Um, because in this case, that one issue is important enough um, to not vote for the one that's pushing for the murder uh, of the unborn. Um, and at the same time, and I've made this argument before, even if you take that issue away, I think there was enough reasons not to vote for the Democrat Party uh, aside from just that. Um, but we have to prioritize and, and recognize that not everything is equal, um, just as uh, just as Eric said, and just stick to our principles. And what I said recently in a, in a tweet, um, look, I'm not saying Jesus is a Republican. I'm not saying he's a Democrat. All right. But when we look at what the parties stand for, and, and again, I'll bring the abortion issue into play. You know, we may be accused of being one issue voters, but I can pretty much guarantee you that many people who are voting Democrat were also one issue voters. Um, they were on that side because they want, want the right to be able to murder their unborn, yeah. right? Uh, but when we think about being Christians, it's not about being Republican or Democrat. It's about standing upon what the truth is, regardless of how the truth is perceived politically. And there may be times in the future where the truth aligns more with um, someone who is part of the Democrat Party. Um, it doesn't it doesn't matter what party they're a part of. You you stand on where the principles of the truth uh, line you up with. Yeah. Well, I just thinking about what y'all you both are just saying. I just remind me of, of uh, Proverbs six sixteen through uh, through seventeen, and the, you know third on the list was hands that shed innocent blood, things that the Lord absolutely hates. Well, to me, if we're looking, you know, that that's where that's exactly where the Lord stands on abortion hands that shed innocent blood. Yeah. So that if you want to say, well, what's, what's the biblical principle? Well, that, that there it is right there, because that's exactly how the Lord, how the Lord feels about that. So uh, again, it's just, and, I, and I, again, it goes back to as pastors, we have an obligation, a duty to lay these things out before our people, because as y'all know, your pastor, I mean, there's a lot of areas that, and I think one of the big areas we struggle with is the biblical literacy that that's in that uh, that's rife in the evangelical establishment here in our country, and it, and it's across it's across all denominations. And I was at a conference, uh, a small pastors conference, here a couple of years ago, and, and as we were as we were kind of talking shop, that was the number one issue that we all agreed was the biggest problem that that we dealt with as pastors, and that we saw and across evangelicalism as biblical, being biblically illiterate. Well, that that's. And it's incumbent on the pastors to educate their people on these. You know, what are some principles that we can hang on to? Okay, how does God feel about this? What does the Scripture say about this? Where can I go uh, to help myself understand the principles that are undergirding everything that we do? Which should be, which should be the, be the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I, I like you know what we're hearing is the the constant rhetoric of what does the Scripture say, and then how do I apply that to. Uh, voting and my thoughts about voting, I, and I'm gonna keep interjecting uh, these these um, sentences, phrases in from Psalm one as we go along. You know, because we talked about first of all, we don't let the world teach us what morals and ethics are, and we've been talking about that, right? Um, you know, the second part of Psalm one says not to stand in the way of sinners, and it's interesting. The psalmist is building on to himself. First, it was walking, and now it's standing. And it's interesting because the standing here gives the idea that you're not just getting moral and ethical advice, but you're actually standing to consider the advice in 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 a in such a way that you're thinking it's not that bad. You know, actually, that seems like it, it makes sense. It, you're 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 standing almost as though you're considering being in agreement with is the sense that that the phrase is giving here. 
Um, and it's also interesting because he moves from the wicked, a generic term to sinners, kind of giving the impression of those being ones who are actively doing engaged in wrongdoing. And and if you just think about that in terms of um, who we're voting for, you know, it makes a difference. I mean, we get we're, we, you get tons of principles just from this one verse here. Right. We we don't want to ever find ourselves thinking um about life, for instance, we brought up abortion. Uh, we we don't we don't want to ever find ourselves in agreement with some of the arguments that diminish the value of life, yeah. because God says yeah. all life is valuable. Every every human is created in the image of God, um, and so you know if you you're not pro life if you're okay with aborting a baby at six weeks, you're still a murderer, you know. Um, you, you can make different arguments for, is it better than, you know, just before term birth, but you're still a murderer in God's eyes. We need to know these things first, um, as we approach candidates to vote for so that we know who and what we're voting for. And we've got to have those biblical principles. And then the, the last thing, and then we'll open it back up uh, because I think this, this is applicable specifically to voting not to sit in the seat of scoffers. So to sit here, uh, if you just think of the idea that Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father, right? He's it, This is to join yourself actively to something. Um, and, and the scoffer here is the vilest of the list we've seen so far. You go from the generic wicked to the sinner who's intentional to the scoffer, the one who actively mocks um, and ridicules and rejects the things of God, right? Um, and I would argue that a right application of this would be how we vote. In some ways, you are joining yourself to either the person or the platform um, to, to which you vote. And so I think that matters. So let me just open up. Does that, do you guys, we're, at Truth Be Known, we're happy to have some disagreements among ourselves we're we're not like these guys who if you get it wrong you're going to get canceled but anyway um but but we do have to consider these things and then i think let's talk about yeah everyone's bit, bit uh, chomping at the bits here <laughs> I, let me uh, let me jump in on that one i think the key thing to to keep in mind here i i do think you're right this informs how we consider who we're voting for but i think this also and i think i would even say primarily uh informs how we act when we're engaging in the process of anything really yeah. here, we're particularly applying it to politics. Like we don't want to, we don't want to stand. We don't want to associate ourselves with sinners. And that means we need to be very clear. And sometimes dare I say nuanced in how we describe what we're supporting and why we're supporting it. Right. Because we want to have a consistent ethic and a consistent application that doesn't make ourselves look foolish or doesn't make ourselves look like we're, uh, going to get let our yes be yes and our no be no. Like I consider myself an abortion abolitionist. Like I want all abortion gone, right? Yeah. But I think there's a lot of my abolitionist brethren who are going to be jumping through hoops to support uh, Donald Trump if he's the nominee because he's now taken a very moderate position, a non-abolitionist position, like out front. Like he's even criticized those who took a stronger position. Yeah. And so I think... If we continue to say things like, you know, uh, I could never vote for anybody that well, well, that pretty much just means you can't vote for anybody in this next election, because yeah. if you're going to be consistent with that, yeah. Donald Trump yeah. is now in that camp of taking the moderate position. So it's different if you say, this is what my position is, and I'm going to support the person that I think best advances what I think is the right position or um, least detriment to the right position. Like that's a, yeah. a nuanced position while holding your position to simply say like, I could never, well, you're either going to be go against your own word now and vote for mm -hmm. somebody who is not ironclad on abortion, or you're going to have to explain why you changed your standards. So I think we have to be careful in our talking about it, that we don't put ourselves in the path of sinners or in the, in the way of sinners by just being uncareful in how we speak and how we define and explain what we're doing. Uh, and then the other thing is I would say sitting in the seat of scoffers is also kind of assuming that position of a scoffer. And I do think this is where yeah. 
the church needs to be really on guard in this next election cycle as the all the politics ramps up and all those things. We don't want to join in in the scoffing, particularly of one another, like of yeah, yeah. quick to cast labels. You know, you're a squish, you're you're a liberal, you're closeted liberal, you're gay, like all these things that seem to be perfectly open for Christians to lambaste one another on social media over these issues. That's to me, that's taking the seat of a scoffer. Like you may not be characteristically a scoffer, but in those acts, you're putting yourself in that seat of a scoffer of saying yeah. like, I'm going to accuse my brother of gross sin because he uh, disagrees with me on a strategy issue. Like that's that should not be in the mind of Christians as we approach this electoral season towards anybody, but particularly towards the church. May we not slander the bride of Christ by being so quick to accuse or to scoff one another over political issues. Well, and, you know, connected with that word too, Eric, the word scoffer is, 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 is combined with arrogance in the Hebrew. So, uh, and if you look at what a lot of us have been, have been exposed to in social media, the arrogance behind some of this is, is that for some reason, my position is better than your position. Or if you don't see things exactly like I do, that makes me somehow spiritually superior or morally superior uh, to you. And I, the lack of humility uh, is to me is a, is a big issue. And that we see a lot of scoffing. I hate to say that on social media by those who profess to be Christians. And uh, the, you know, Again, we that's just an that's for us not to be walk this walk through this with a humble attitude. Okay, that uh, you're no better than I am. I'm no better than you. I understand where I'm at before God because that's really where it all starts. Humility starts with understanding your position before God, and uh, so you you need we need to we need to exercise that. And I think those who who want to put themselves out as spiritual leaders in the social media stratosphere? That needs to be the that needs to be the first thing many of them need to start uh, start aiming for. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Ephesians uh, Ephesians four uh, four one uh, says, uh, "Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called." And I would argue that that's the chief commandment under which every other commandment falls under. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's noteworthy to see that Paul immediately after saying that says with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And and just look at the key words there, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love. And then on top of that, verse three, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Um, The the, the biting and devouring that often happens in these disagreement uh, of opinions is exactly not that. Um, so we have to we, we have to show honor that hey, like like we've said uh, that the scriptures don't give us a lot. Uh, we we're drawing out principles in terms how we should vote, but when we're drawing out principles, it means that a lot of our decisions are going to come down to conscience, and so we don't want to bind the conscience um, of one another. And I'll add this also. Um, it's been said that an idol is anything that you sin if you do not get, or you're willing to sin in order to get. And I think when we start to bite and devour one another, uh, another over this, we start to show that our idol in that moment, we're not worshiping God, but we're worshiping the idol of politics. We're overemphasizing uh, what we want to see done in this world. And we have to be reminded, or at least if you're not, if you're not of a certain um, mindset within the Christian uh, community, we have to be reminded that heaven is not here and now. Um, heaven is coming in the future when Jesus Christ comes, and so we're not guaranteed perfection here. We're in a fallen world. This is you were always going to be voting between the lesser of two evils, um, unless unless we have a godly man actually running for office, whom we know is. Is has walked in a manner that has been very high in integrity with regards to his confession. Um, we're always going to be caught in this position of having to vote for the the lesser of two evils. And I would just add this also: in in our decision to support certain candidates, um, recognize, and we've seen this throughout history, that candidates can flip their positions, just as you mentioned, Eric. They can flip their positions at a moment's notice, and they can sorely disappoint you and really. Fail to uphold any of the promises that they've made. 
And, and so this is another reason why, you know, if you choose to elect a, a candidate um, or vote for a candidate, that, that that's great. But this is the danger of binding other people's conscience over that is that you're choosing to vote for a fallen being. And if you bind someone else's conscience and that person goes, you know, goes, does a 180 on the positions that he said he or she would support. Now, now you've got an issue. And then to take that even further, um, woe to all those churches who brings politicians in on a Sunday morning in order to preach a political message to the congregation. Um, and, and this is one of those examples where we turn politics into an idol, because when we gather together on Sunday morning, it is for one reason and one reason only, and that is to worship a holy God. Now, voting is important, but that never takes priority. And this is where I often say your theology is more than just what you know, but it's also how you prioritize what you know. And and so the whatever happens in this nation, whatever votes are on the table, whatever candidates are involved, when we come together on Sunday, we come together to worship over the true king who can never be elected out of office, who is in control of all things, and whom we know will come back and, and restore all things at some point in the future. Yeah, I want to read a quote. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I want to jump on the exposition train before we move on from that, because you read it in Ephesians. Uh, Colossians 3, 12 and 13 tells us, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I think that's a really key thing for how we govern all of life, and we should apply it to how we deal with one another with regard to politics and those things. No. Remembering who we are, we're those chosen of God, we're holy and beloved, we're to conduct ourselves in such a manner, heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And with regard to one another, we're to bear with one another and forgive one another. I think bearing with speaks to preferences and forgiving speaks to sins. So if somebody's violated your preferences, you bear with them. If they violated God's righteous law, you forgive them. And then he gives the extent to that, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Like that's a lot of all-encompassing language right wow. there in one small little phrase. And if that wasn't all-encompassing enough, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The Lord has forgiven us completely. The Lord has borne with us completely and perfectly. That should be the aim that we're striving at. And so when we treat one another over these political issues, we should be bearing with one another. There will be people no. in your church that have different preferences with regard to tax policy, border enforcement, um, no. what kind of in infrastructure uh, the government should invest in, all those kind of things. That's a bearing with one another issue. Where there's sin issues, our inclination to, should be to forgive them. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore sin. We don't call it sin. But our inclination should be forgiveness, not like, oh, you voted for this candidate who supported this sinful position. Anathema. Like, that's not who we are. No. As Christians, we are a bearing with and forgiving one another people because that's what God has done for us. And so I think we need to apply those broad Christian principles uh, to how we treat one another and how we interact over these issues and see those not as like, okay, that doesn't that passage doesn't deal with government. Yes, it does. It deals with how we're to interact mm -hmm. with people. And government is people working together. So we should apply those same principles, especially in how we treat one another. Um, and I think I would just encourage people, be on guard. Social media does not promote that kind of thing. And so no. you need to guard yourself, particularly in an election season where everybody's rhetoric ramps up. Guard yourself against falling into sin on how you treat one another over a position, even if that position is right. You still want to treat them in a godly, compassionate, kind, gentle way in defending, in asserting yourself in a right position. Should we contend for righteousness? Absolutely. But we should do it in a righteous way. Well, yeah. uh, I think just going tying in real quick what you just said, Eric, I think uh, for us as pastors, maybe part of what we need to be doing is helping our people to ramp down. Okay. Yeah. To ramp down during the election. I mean, because like you said, everything's ramping up. The rhetoric, I mean, whether it's on social media, whether it's on local news, it makes no difference. I mean, everything's ramping up. And I think that maybe as pastors, that's something we need to do is, is try to install a sense of peace and, and peacefulness in our people and not just with uh, what's going on out in the world, but even amongst themselves and the congregation, because there's not a congregation that won't be affected by this. Yeah. 
Yeah, I want to read this quote by John Wesley. I think it's it's really good for us uh, and applicable. He says, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, number one, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. Number two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. And number three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Um, I, I mean, in, incredible, just three things from John Wesley. And I want to um, let me bring Eric in and make a comment. And then I kind of want to wrap up by by micro focusing a little bit on some comments that I know at least I've made and just talk about the Republican Party and the Democrat Party, because I know people are like, wow, you guys are being very vague. The point of this episode is to emphasize the need to know biblical principles so that you can vote righteously. It's it, it. That's why we've been that way. But I do want to spend a few minutes talking about how we um, ought to understand our parties, because I think that's educational in, in how we consider biblically who we're going to support. Um, but jump in there, Eric. Uh, do, you, do you have some comments add to it? Yeah, I just want to give kind of one, you know, different podcast, but my tagline on my podcast is deeply rooted practical theology. So one practical tip to help you is to remember as we go through this, the 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 first mandate given to the church with regard to government is to pray. And so I want to encourage you, there's a website called Public Servants Prayer. It's thepsp.org. So T-H-E-P-S-P.org. It's Public Servants Prayer. You can go there um, and it will be based on your location. It will give you three people in government to pray for every day um, to help you just kind of systematically be obedient to the call to pray for leaders. Um, it's really helpful because it does it based on your location. So like I'm in Texas, there are certain governing authorities that are over me that are not over somebody who's in say Oklahoma or the People's Republic of California. And so I'm not, I don't think obligated to pray for those who don't have authority over me, but I am obligated to pray for those who do. And so I would highly encourage, again, the general name of the website is Public Servants Prayer, but it's thepsp.org. It's a really great site to just help you pray for your those in authority. Amen. Yeah. And let me add also, we, we've we had Jim Osman on the podcast before, and he made a very important point that I think we all should consider. Your local elections are going to have a far greater impact upon what happens locally to you than the national elections. We we tend to prioritize national over local, but be sure to uh to to look into those candidates that you're voting for local positions uh for for the city, the county, the the state, um, and then of course the the nation as well. But those local elections matter because if the if the nation, if the nation's leaders start to act contrary to the constitution as we know that they have been um, sometimes your local leaders, if they have the backbone, will stand up against it and say, "No, I will not enforce that here," which is uh, which is the power of of having good local leaders. Yeah. So, guys, as we kind of come to the end here, I, I want to talk about the, the 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 two primary parties we have, uh, and and the options I think a voter has. So sometimes it's easier to know what options are off the table right biblically than it is to know what you have to do with what's left. Um, I, I don't I don't think we have an obligation to vote biblically. You can't, I don't think you can make that case biblically. If in your conscience um, you decide you would be violating a biblical principle by voting, you know, um, so that I think that is a potential option. Um, I think one of the challenges is when believers think about the Democrat and the Republican Party is we don't always compare apples to apples and we sort of forget how the parties function. Right. Um, and so we often use the word platform, at least I do, to distinguish between a person. So and you guys, you can jump in and if I get it wrong or, or you want to add to it. But as I see the parties and as I understand them, our parties generally function as a whole and not as individual people. And so when I'm looking at voting, I'm I'm especially in a federal election, like a presidential election like this, I'm not necessarily looking as much at an individual as I am what the platform is promoting. 
Right. So, and, and if you, so if you, and if you don't compare both in the same way, whichever way you compare them, then you're not being just in your comparison. You're not comparing with fair weight. So if you want to compare um, Donald Trump, by the way, um, to the whole Democrat party, um, rather than comparing the Republican party to the Democrat party, you're not actually judging rightly. It, it, you would need to judge uh, Trump against whatever uh, the individual is he's running against. So Trump versus Biden or whatever. Um, but but I think even that, that's not really how our parties function. Um, and so this, because we get questions like this, well, how how could you vote for Trump if you say you'll never vote for someone who is okay with murdering babies? Because I, it, you're you're dishonest at this point if you don't acknowledge that Trump is perfectly fine with murdering children. He just is. Um, but I'm looking not to the individual because that is not the Republican platform position. There, the platform position is in opposition to abortion, generally speaking. That's what I'm looking at. Um, is it perfect? No. And those are those are nuanced conversations. But as a general rule, the Republican Party is going to limit and eliminate abortions. Um, and Roe v. Wade's a good instance of of that, right? And that didn't stop abortions, but it 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 did stop a lot of them. Um, and, and so I think sometimes for Christians, just understanding how the parties work is extremely helpful. Because if you don't understand that, how do you apply apply biblical principles to something that you don't even understand? Um, and, and then I think Eric, once we understand that, then the advice you've given is really poignant because then we can say, okay. So are there primary issues just between the platforms that the Bible makes very clear? And, and the answer in this case is yes, the, the issue of life is very clear. And so the Christian could not biblically join themselves to a group of people who, as a general rule across the board, believe that it is not only good, but your right to murder children the, the christian and so it helps us to be able to judge rightly those things if we understand how the platforms um operate jump in there does that make sense to you guys do you think that's helpful add to it yeah i would agree with that um in some ways i would i would give some caveats one make sure you understand what the platform actually is and when it comes out so the platform is determined and approved on a national level at the national convention, convention. right? And so and there's writing this, their right. positions are in writing. <laughs> it's in writing. Right. And so I think we need to distinguish that between political rhetoric on a campaign trail and what's the actual um, writing. Now what's in writing, I think is primary, you know, we're people of the book, right? We, we believe in, in what's the written word, right? Now I'm not comparing a political platform to scripture in the sense of authority, but what somebody's expressed in writing should carry weight to us over what they say off the cuff in political speeches, in rhetoric and those things. But that doesn't mean we ignore those things, right? And so if we had a party, you know, just to, to make it generic, if there was a party who the party platform said they were against abortion in all cases, and we had one candidate running for that party who had said something different than that, and another who was consistent with that, I would say we weighed it and vote for the candidate who's also in a line with the platform, right? And so we we don't ignore the rhetoric for the platform, but we understand which is the case and it, we use that to inform how we think about those things. And so you just have to understand a lot of what's happening now in primaries is not settled on what the platform is. It does give us kind of a direction that people are going. Um, we can see the you know, one party seems to be really putting forward at every case, the the case for abortion, the case for uh, unfettered access to abortion, right? And one party seems to at least be limiting that, but it's inconsistent across the candidates, yeah. across the people, right? So we keep that in mind and we wait and we pray and wait for the actual platform to come out. And then we let that inform our decisions and inform where we're going to go based on what our conscience convictions are for what we could or could not support. Uh, I think part of the issue is uh, most people in reformed 
circles, Reformed evangelical circles, will decry pragmatism in the church, but use it all day in politics. And we have to be careful of that. We need to have a consistent ethic ourselves, right? We need to guard ourselves against being uh, people with unjust weights and measures, with different standards. Like that is an abomination to the Lord multiple times in Proverbs. And so we want to be able to make sure, while we do recognize categories, right? We're not voting for a pastor. We're not voting for, unless you're a part of a certain camp, you're not voting for a national Christian prince. Uh, But within those categories, understanding those categorical differences, those spheres of sovereignty, we still want to have a consistent ethic in how we think about those things and how we talk about those things and apply our personal efforts and resources too. Um, that could be timing. Like, do you have time and and is it a good stewardship of your time for you to participate in a political rally or those kind of things? Do you do you feel like it's exercising a freedom of speech to go to a protest? I know different Christians will take different positions on those things. You just want to be consistent in how you're thinking through and explaining those things biblically and how you're speaking about those you disagree with on those issues so that you're not setting yourself up to be guilty of a double standard. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put you all on the spot. I'm going to ask some hard questions that people ask, okay? All right, we've talked about this. So we've talked about conscience. Conscience gets used a lot, but it's never really defined. What if my conscience says I'm perfectly happy voting for the party that is hell-bent, and I use that intentionally, on murdering the innocent? Well, what if my conscience allows that? Should... Is that a problem? Because you're saying vote for my conscience. What do you do with that? Well, I'm going to step out here quick and and I'm going to quote Luther. Um, He says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Therefore, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I think the issue for every Christian is, is your conscience informed and held captive to the word of God. I mean, that's to me, that's that's just that's just the bottom line of what really of everything we've been talking about today is that are did you are you informed? Is your conscience informed? Because at the end of the day, you're gonna vote according to your conscience, right? And we've just talked about that. So uh what's informing your conscience? And is it held captive to the word of God? Amen. And I would just add to that, uh, there's a difference between a clean conscience and a seared conscience. So your conscience could not be speaking against you voting for that because your conscience is seared, seared. not because it's clean. And so the way we fight against uh, mistaking a clean conscience for a seared conscience is what Morris just said, to have it be captive to the word of God and be informed consistently by the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. An argument from a position of conscience, it's only relevant if the word of God is not explicitly clear on that issue. If the word of God is clear, then your conscience is wrong. You're in sin, and you need to go back to the word of God and repent. Um, so that's yep. So that that's that that's where we draw the line on the conscience. So let me let me give an example and ask if this fits in that category. Um, so let's say I'm looking at the Democrat Party, and I, I cannot partner with what the platform has in writing. Um, just can't do it. That's very clear from the word of God. Sometimes it's easier to know what you can't do than what you have to do. So I know I can't do that, but now I have other options. I can vote for the Republican Party, and I think understanding the party, let's say I feel I feel comfortable doing as that as an option. Um, I cannot vote. I feel comfortable doing that potentially because there's just so much evil there that I, I'm, I'm struggling as a Christian to to lend a vote to that, or I can write someone in knowing that that's, you know, that person is not going to get in. Um, so I, I weigh all those things out and I just say, you know what? Can't vote for this party. The, the, the guy representing this party and, and this party is so twisted and, and evil. And in some ways they're no different than the other. I, I just, this year I can't, I, I can't in, in good conscience support that. I feel like I would be joining with sinfulness, so for this year, I, I'm going to decide not to vote. I know people aren't going to like that. Um, is that an appropriate issue of conscience, or am I violating some principle that says, no, you have to vote for this party or that party? 
Well, I don't, I, again, I think it, it, if your conscience is not violated by not voting, we, uh, you shouldn't. I mean, if it's going to violate your conscience, I'm sorry, to, to vote in that instance, I think you, I, personally you shouldn't vote. No, no. Right. And, and I think there, I think that's a, a, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I would heartily agree with that. So yeah, I, I, I would agree as well. So as we, as we, I'm good, I'm practicing my Baptist preacher, although I'm in a Bible church, as we wrap up for the second time, um, why don't each of you guys just kind of give a last thought for uh, people as, as they try to navigate through this issue? We, we know that you can most certainly sin against God in supporting things we can't support. We, we all understand that. Um, I think in our circles, right, uh, guys who are probably listening to this podcast, guys in your church, more conservative, our tendencies are probably to demonize other people rather than to pray for them um, and to see their eyes open. So just kind of thinking about that, what what are some last words? And we'll just, uh, we'll go Eric Ecke and then let you, or Eric Morris and then let Ecke wrap us up. Yeah, so I would say um, my encouragement would be to make sure uh, when we're um, critical of the government for its sin, for its errors, that we're applying the log spec principle. So we should, I think, use and steward our voice, particularly in a country where we have freedom of speech. We should use, in a sense, our prophetic voice to speak the truth and biblical truth to those in government and to call them to live according to biblical principles. We should also make sure that we are living according to biblical principles in how we're interacting with the government. And I, I laid those out at the beginning. Those are pray, pay, honor, and submit. So if you're not cons consistently praying for those in government, but you're criticizing them, I would say you're failing to apply the log spec principle. If you're not paying your taxes, you're failing to uh, apply that principle. If you're not being appropriately honorable to those in government in how you talk about them and speak to them, I would say you're failing to apply the log spec principle. We cannot justify our own sin and ignoring our own sin because we're rightly pointing out the sin in others. Of course, we should tell them about their sin. We should speak truth, but we should also make sure we're living according to that truth so that when we stand and we criticize those in government for what they're not doing or what's unbiblical and what they're doing, we're not standing on a hypocritical footing. We're, we've cleared the log from our own eye first. Well, it's hard to, hard to add anything to what Eric just said. Uh, from scriptural principles, but I, I just want to refer back to something that was mentioned right at the start of the podcast today, and that's fear. Um, I think too many Christians and and whether it's social media, people I've talked to in the, in the community are living in a state of fear. And and I, I want to encourage anybody out there, if, if you're fearful about the elections, if you're fearful about what's going on in our country, uh, there's that's different with from being concerned about what's going on in our country. The scripture is real clear about uh, we're not to live in fear. And we may start right off the bat. Like you said, God is sovereign. And where is our trust going to be placed? And I think the reason that people are fearful is that they're placing their faith yeah. and their trust in the wrong thing, the wrong person. It's not in the politician. There's not a politician alive that's going to deliver this country. Not one. Whether I don't care who it is, I don't care which party it is, there's only one deliverer. And that's Jesus Christ. And there's only really the one thing to be delivered from. And that's the, that's the penalty for our sin. And we need to look to the Lord and trust him that he is sovereign. He determines the times and boundaries of the nations. He removes kings and establishes kings. Uh, he's in charge of the entire course of history, whether it's this country or whether it's Malaysia, it makes no difference. There's not an area of this world that God's not sovereign over. So we need to look to him and understand from a biblical perspective, you look, I, I think about Daniel quite a bit. Uh, Daniel was taken captive. He lived in a time where just God's judgment was falling on Judah and, and Jerusalem, right? Was taken captive. But yet you see what happened. God preserved him, right? Where was his trust? His trust was always in God. It wasn't in whoever the king was at the time. And he had several different kings. You go back and look at his life. There was a consistency there and a consistency and looking 
to the one that he knew was in charge. And I think as Christians, we need to do that. Amen. Yeah, amen to that. Um, Jesus is on on his throne regardless of the outcome. I would just add, think about um, when you're voting, what's going to uphold the greatest good according to biblical principles. But think also, and I've, the word stewardship has come up, think also of your stewardship as uh, a person of God, as a person who is overseeing a family, whether you're a mother or a father, and think about the church. Um, think about... Um, you know, there are things that we as Christians are not going to compromise. Like, for instance, the government has no right to tell us how we are to raise our children. The government has no right to tell us what our children should or should not be taught or all those things. The church will always be the entity that has the truth and proclaims the truth. And so think in terms of which side um, in, starts to infringe upon that right and turns us into criminals for doing what God has called us to do. God is our ultimate authority, not the government. And unlike a lot of people, I do not believe that this nation is a Christian nation. I don't think it'll ever become a Christian nation. But what we can do is try to preserve as much good as possible and not put ourselves in a position where we're going to be turned into criminals for doing what God himself has called us to do. Yes. Amen. You know, what's interesting... Um, talking about honoring the government and Eric uh, going back to the passages you talked about in Romans. I think sometimes we forget what the government was like when Paul was writing these letters. Um, and I think it would do us well. to remember that, it, you know, these Roman emperors were, I mean, they were hunting Christians down at times. They were, you know, burning them in their gardens for fun. And here is Paul writing to pray for your government, the, the government that's hunting your family members down and, and, and murdering them. Um, and, and so I think we just need to remember that, um, yeah, our hope and trust is in Christ, that God is sovereign. God's not sitting in the heavens, wringing his hands, thinking, oh man, I don't know what's going to happen next. He's already foreordained it, in fact. Um, and, and so, you know, when we vote, um, you need to be thinking of how can I honor Christ in my vote? Am I honoring Christ in my vote? A am I am I voting um, with a biblically informed conscience? And that might mean you choose not to vote, and and you just need to know that's okay. Um, there are things you can't support and still be faithful to Scripture, um, but what you must do is honor Christ in whatever you do. And so if you do that then I think we'll be where we need to be. So uh, until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.